When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It is always a pleasure to be joined by a returning champion here on this podcast, and that's precisely what we have for all of you listeners today, as I am joined by a man I've known since I was 10 years old, a man I remember best from his All-American playing, not coaching, playing days at Michigan State. But of course, now he's a man we all know as one of the fastest rising head coaches across all of the college tennis ranks. It's our dear friend here at Cracked Rackets, Michigan State men's tennis head coach Harry Jaden, who joins me on today's podcast to discuss the monumental progress being made in East Lansing throughout the course of his tenure thus far. Of course, the big headline is Coach Jaden and the Spartans. They brought home their first tennis-related national championship this fall as Ozan Barris, Max Sheldon partnered together to capture the men's doubles title at ITA Fall Nats. Of course, that's just one of many successes this program has experienced in Coach Jaden's short tenure. And look, it even feels weird for me to call him Coach Jade, and I've known him as Harry again for over a decade. But to see what he has done, not just in having that immediate success on court, but look at the recruiting. Look at what Michigan State has done from a perception standpoint so quickly in bringing in a Daniel Morita, bringing in a Ronnie Holman, all this talent from various parts of the globe. They're all recognizing what Harry Jaden and this Michigan State men's tennis program is trying to accomplish. And so that question of where does Michigan State go from here? How has Harry been able to accomplish what he has so quickly in his first 18 months on the job? That's the theme of today's conversation. And certainly looking back at the last six months since the NCAAs ended last May, it does feel like the rise of this Michigan State program. It's been one of the biggest talking points in all of Division I men's college tennis. So to get to talk to the architect behind it all, to even get to spend an hour with my dear friend, Harry Jaden, something I don't get to do frequently enough. It's always a pleasure to have the chance to chat with him. And I am certain today's conversation is what all of you tennis fans are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, just a quick reminder, you want to hear more thoughts as we prepare for the start of another college tennis season, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear myself, John Parsons, Chris Halioris offer our top 10 previews, breaking down our 10 best Division I men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 season. Of course, if that's not enough, rest easy. We've got plenty of other content for you, whether it's the Mini Break Podcast or Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We know. It's the off-season for just a little bit longer, and now we're starting to get antsy, right? You can taste the tennis on the horizon. If you need to get that thirst quenched here this week, we've got you covered. Plenty of content across our various content platforms. So again, 
Subscribe, like, rate, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Mini Break Podcast, and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on anything. Make sure you follow us across social media as well at Crack Rackets. I'm at AL Gruskin on Twitter in case you're looking for my thoughts specifically. But you know whose thoughts you're looking for today? Our dear friend, Michigan State men's tennis head coach Harry Jaden's thoughts. So with that in mind, let's get to my conversation. Westoff, hit that intro music and let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast once again today for the first time in a long time is a man who maybe made more headlines than anyone this past offseason in the college tennis world. Of course, all of you know him as a man entering his second season in the job as the Michigan State men's tennis head coach. Of course, I know him as the guy all of us were chasing back in the day in Michigan junior tennis, the first All-American doubles duo in Michigan State men's tennis history, and of course, our dear friend here at Crack Rackets. Let's welcome back to the show, Michigan State men's tennis head coach, Harry Jaden. Harry, welcome back. I guess I should call you coach now. How are you doing today? Doing well. You know, good Christmas celebration with the family and, uh, you know, some time to relax a little bit. Obviously got some time to, to get on the podcast here before the season starts. So, you know, excited that you'd have me because obviously <laughs> all this work we've been doing at Michigan State to improve the program is the sole focus has been getting back on the Crack Rackets podcast with Alex here. Well, well, you've been very transparent about that goal, and I appreciate that. I watched the press conference at the start of November, and, you know, again, that you said Crack Rackets every other word. That was a blessing <laughs> for us. So all press is good press, but no, sincerely you have been on one in the best possible sense since taking over that Michigan State men's tennis head coaching job. And I'm curious for you because I'm sure this first year and a half in some sense has felt like just one collective sprint. Has it felt a little nice this month to take a deep breath and maybe assess where the Spartans are heading into 2024? Yeah, I mean, you know, after the guys take their finals, that's really when for us we can really hit the road recruiting. So early December to mid-December has been still busy grinding, hitting the road a little bit. But now the past week, you know, trying to trying to really take your mind off of things for Christmas so you can enjoy it. But now we're really gearing into the spring season and trying to get everything in, or, in order and organized. And, yeah, it's been good to really take stock and, uh, you know, look back to where we were a year ago today is pretty – awesome to to see the journey that we're on and in the trajectory we have so it's just exciting you know that you don't see it in the day-to-day the work you do and the the you know mundane things you have to do to to you know improve uh but it's cool at the end of the year to really look back and see where you're at yeah and i do want to talk about the roster the fall your team has had and all things michigan state men's tennis heading into 2024 but i do want to focus on you my friend because i'm curious you are now in year number two and you know again the burden and blessing of being the head coach. I'm sure you have now gotten a much more clear picture of those things. And I'm curious, as you reflect on that first year and a half, how has it been different? How has it been similar to perhaps the expectations you had in your mind, as I know, becoming a head coach one day was always something you hoped to do? 
Yeah. I mean, as an assistant coach, you always sit there and you say, man, I could do this. This is easy. And I remember it was actually, I was, I was calling coach Steinberg who was at Michigan at the time to, to schedule a time for our match. And this was in the summer after I accepted the job. And he kind of just was like, Hey, how you doing? Like, it's a little bit different in the seat you're sitting in now. Huh? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, that's, that's, that's all it is. It's just, it's different when you're the head coach. It's different when the buck stops at you. Um, you lose a little sleep. You're responsible as a, as an assistant coach, you can kind of take ownership of certain parts of the program as a head coach. You know, if a guy is, is uh, struggling in class falls to you, you know, if a guy is uh trying to figure out how he's going to get back to campus after the summer break and, and arranging travel, you got to help him out with that. So there's just really every single aspect of the program falls down to you and it's kind of the culture you set, but yeah, it definitely takes a toll and uh, you know, it's kind of learning how to, how to breathe underwater, I think, and uh, just adjust to the fact that your to-do list is going to be long and it will get done and you got to trust that and you can't stress out about it every single day. Is the biggest misnomer about coaching or the pers- I guess the misperception in coaching that the head coach coaches the most tennis because and I say this in a loving sense talking to all of these head coaches across the country I feel like that's where it's so key to have your Mike Flowers to have your assistant coach whether it be Davis last year Kazuki for you guys this year how much more have you turned uh, you know realized okay I am going to be leaning on them for tennis things I'm just curious how that dynamic unfolds no for sure and obviously when I when I hired my assistant coach Mike uh it was really important that I got somebody who who was very very good and very knowledgeable on the court Mike is in my opinion the best coach in 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 tennis in the U.S. at least uh he's got a very unique sense of approaching the game but yeah I mean you just gotta sometimes you want to be on court but you got to finish up this uh expense report or this itinerary (laughs) something like that I mean it's silly things that pull you away but you know, at the end of the day, I, 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 I've taken some lashings from my administration and uh, you got to get that stuff done. You can't ignore it and you got to make sure it's done in a timely fashion. So it definitely pulls you away from the court a good bit, but also trying to carve out time. And even if it's not on court with the guys, uh, a 10, 15 minute talk in the office as they walk into practice or walk out of practice, just connecting with them is it, to me really, really important because you know, I just I think it's really important to have guys that want to go to war for you and, and you got to meet them in the middle where they're at every single day. So just trying to really keep a pulse and keep a feel for the team. How's your tennis nowadays? Man, I it's good. I mean, I messed my shoulder. <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, it's good. I just can't really play service games like three days in a row. Two days, my shoulder starts bugging me. Three days, it's like, man. I can't do it. I can't serve today. So the volleys, the volleys are like riding a bike. They're never going. Yeah. The, re, the, the returns, man, I need to get on the ball machine and get like four hours of returns today to get those back in shape. But uh, yeah, I can I can hop in doubles and singles drills, no problem. But it's just the serving gets my shoulder. Those volleys are the equivalent of old man strength in tennis. Like the more you hit, like I have. Armin Molino, someone you know who I've watched hit a million yeah. lessons over the years. I've never seen him miss a volley, or maybe twice I have. And when he misses it, the amount of grunting he does to himself of like anger and frustration, <laughs> where you're just like, I shouldn't be missing these. Like, come on, you're the coach. You've hit seven million of them in your life. And I can see you transitioning into that role beautifully. I would just like to say, I see that as your future. Yeah. And it's tough to tell the guys that manage their emotions when you miss a volley yeah. and you're hitting the ball over the fence as well. So yeah, it's 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 not easy to miss volleys, that's for sure. Yeah, well 
Well, again, that's what makes you the head coach that you are. And I think that's why your pitch to so many different players has worked. And look, that's obviously where we have to start today's conversation as it relates to your team looking at this Michigan State roster and the job you have done in even two years in bringing in just a, a ridiculous caliber of talent across the board. It's not just Ozan at the top. It's one through six now as well. And look, again, knowing the nuances of your program, I'm just curious what it's been like for you to have Michigan State embrace men's tennis so fully since you've taken over the head coaching job and what that pitch has been like for you to try and convince a guy like Ozan or a Daniel or all these guys who are starting to commit, Ronnie, et cetera, to buy into what you're selling uh, for the future of Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, uh, number one, that was something that I had a lot of discussions with with the athletic director, Alan Haller, here at Michigan State. And he, if you look across the board at Michigan State, um, obviously we struggled in football a little bit this year. We're getting back on track in basketball. We'll always be good as basketball as long as uh, Coach Izzo's there. But if you look at a lot of the other uh, non-revenue programs, gymnastics won the Big Ten title last year. Women's soccer won the Big Ten title. Men's soccer, uh, I think top three finish in the Big Ten. Uh, cross country won the Big Ten title. So Allen's made it a huge priority to invest in the non-revenue sports, which has been awesome for us. Um, and and that's that's really, really important. I mean, I'm able to really push for things that we need in order to compete at the highest level. And, and with that, you know, the, I think the recruiting pitch is just evolving. Uh, it first started out with Ozon is, Hey, you know, you can be the guy that really puts this team on the back on your back and, and carry the flag for the Spartans. And it was kind of the same thing with Ronnie as well. Um, you know, we need some big time players here and you guys can be the ones who uh, can, can really bring this thing to the top. And then now, we actually just lost a recruiting battle to a to a I'd say a blue blood program, <laughs> and the recruit kind of said, "Hey, you know, I I feel like that program is is down, and I'm gonna help them bring it up." And now you guys are already rocking and rolling. <laughs> so it was funny that that uh, that pitch was kind of used against us there. So now I think. Hopefully the the pitch becomes we're one of the elite programs in college tennis. We've proven we can do it. Now we got to do um, that year in and year out. So I think that that pitch is evolving. It hurt to lose that recruiting battle in that way because that was like our bread and butter, man. We can get you in here. You can be the guy who brings this thing to the top. But now that you know he he the recruit felt that we were you know one of the best teams in the country. That that uh, now we got to evolve. Yeah. I'm curious when you're selling, is it the four-year plan? Is it a one-year plan? Because certainly as we have discussed on other podcasts here at Crack Rackets, the pathway from college to the pros. It's becoming more prevalent. And certainly I imagine having the accelerator tour, uh, accelerator program, excuse me, which for listeners who may not remember, if you are a top 20 player in the ITA rankings with a few other possible ways to get gain entry into this, you're going to have access to challenger wildcards. You're going to have access to pro events. How much of that has become your pitch in trying to sell these players to come to college tennis? I think, you know, a lot of the guys that we're recruiting now, they really want to pursue professional tennis. And I think the accelerator program was huge for all the college tennis to attract those types of players in the pitch. It, it depends on person to person. Uh, some guys we go year by year, other guys, you know, we're pitching a four year vision. At the end of the day, the average age of the top 100 is about 27, 28 years old. So you know, they, they got time to develop, but, you know, I do think that a lot of the guys who, who, who think they're going to be one year guys, they get to college and they realize, whoa, 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 the level here is amazing. I mean, it's, it's borderline challenger level. And then also 
we're able to take guys to pro tournaments. You know, I think our guys played over 70 pro tournaments in the calendar year 2023, our top seven guys. Uh, so, you know, we're able to really help them and get their rankings up. And you look at, you know, some of the guys that are coming back after having great years. You look at the Inyaki Montezes, the Vonder Schulenbergs, the Cannon Kingsleys, the Justin Boulays. I mean, those guys they're they're top 500 or so or their level is probably higher than that uh and they're coming back to play college tennis because you can really make it work uh with with the professional schedule taking guys to pro tournaments finding pockets in the season here or there where they can keep their rankings and really raise their level and i just think the whole value of the team and having structure around you is uh is so so just underrated with college tennis these guys you can be 400 300 200 in the world and you can be miserable because you're traveling by yourself you're obviously not making money and uh, you don't feel like you have a sense of direction so this kind of gives those young guys that and they know they have time to to make it to the top 100 and here's something ozan said to me that just made so much sense he kind of said hey I've been really pressing. This was, we were having a conversation. He's like, I've been pressing to make the top 100. And then I was thinking, does it matter if I make the top 100 when I'm 19 or when I'm 21? And at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I guess if you're Alcaraz and you're winning a grand slam, you really <laughs> yeah. don't ever do it. That's cool. But if you make it when you're 19 and, and you do it yourself, that's fine. But also if you make it when you're 21, you have a great time in college competing against your brothers, developing, maturing. That's still awesome. Yeah, and you get to ch- catch year number one of John Smith as the head of the yeah. football program. That's where I would want to be. And so, no, I totally yeah. get that. I'm curious, has NIL become a factor in recruiting? Because obviously, for those that don't know, mine's tennis, you referred to this earlier, mm-hmm. a non-revenue sports, you have four and a half scholarships to work with. Yeah. And when it comes to trying to ensure you can get high quality players, obviously four and a half is a limited budget for every team to work with. There's an NIL option now there that there's still some uncertainty around. I'm curious if it if you think it's becoming a factor in tennis. I I, I got to get a little complaining here going I <laughs> I mean, I was talking to another coach who coaches at a non-traditional tennis school that does really well. And it's when when we land recruits, it's a testament to the NIL era. <laughs> but when a blue blood lands a recruit, it's like, oh, that's great recruiting, of course. So, no, NIL is a factor for sure. I, I mean, you look at the numbers that are being put up in football, at least allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those are crazy. I, I don't think it's as much, at least in, in Michigan State, it's not that big of a factor. But can these guys make some money? Um, to 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 help themselves on the pro tour and kind of leverage their their position as a as a D one student athlete, absolutely. And I think that's another pitch that that helps with uh, you know with with bringing guys who want to play pro here is not only are you going to have your tournaments, training, equipment paid for, but there are NIL opportunities for you to continue to to I guess create a little war chest for yourself when you do go out and hopefully that will tide you over until you can start making a living on the tour. Yeah, I guess, again, I'm not going to ask you for specific numbers or those sorts of things. I'm just curious, and and by the way, I want to be clear, I am not ascribing any recruiting success you guys have had to the emergence of NIL. You know I'm a believer in your pitch. Uh, You know, again, Nicholas Gruskin, my younger brother, is going to be a senior in college. He was almost going to transfer to state for the last semester. People don't know. Harry went after him hard. Uh, But, you know, he, like you, doesn't have a serve anymore to work with. Anyways, like, where in the priority rankings is NIL? Is it one of the first things you're bringing up or is that sort of a supplemental piece to everything else? I think it's a, it's a, obviously, you know, 
per NCAA rules, you can't use NIL in the recruiting pitch. Right. Obviously, yeah. we aren't doing that. Um, but, you know, I think the the biggest thing is the fit. I think the huge, honestly, I think the biggest aspect of Michigan State, why we're having success is the professional aspect of, hey, you know, you look throughout this fall, you look at a guy like David Say, Ozan Barr, Ronnie Homan. I mean, those guys were playing, you know, probably six, seven pro tournaments at least throughout the fall semester. I think that's really important that our goals align with theirs. There's a lot of college programs that that really believe in the the collegiate model and and, and the student athlete model. And that's awesome. But for us, we're kind of trying to be a, a springboard for them on the pro tour. I think that's first priority. I think second is is definitely showing them that, hey, we're the big dogs. Um, and uh, we have the facilities. We have the schedule. We have the resources. We have the everything you need at the collegiate level. We can provide it to you at, a, at the highest level. So we're, we're competing in the Big Ten, which is – you know, everybody's complaining about USC and UCLA coming in. I love it. I think the college tennis coaches love it in the Big Ten because outside of the travel, we're going to be one of the best, if not the best, conferences in college tennis. And, uh, you know, that means we're going to be able to play really, really good players week in and week out. So I think that's huge. And then, you know, you talk about scholarship offers and, and you show the NIL opportunities that maybe some of your other players have gotten. Uh, and that matters too. And, and who who it matters for is different. For some some people, it's strictly just financials of scholarship and stuff like that. But other people, maybe their families have a little bit more money and they want to make sure they land in a good situation. So it's really working through that with the player and their family, see what yeah. their priorities are. No, I mean, again, your pitch clearly having some sort of success, given all the players who are now opting to come play for your program. And look, we've alluded to this guy a bunch throughout, but when you land a blue chip like an Ozan Barris, as you did first recruit to come in as your head coaching job, obviously that sets a tone for you moving forward. But something I found so fascinating, I went back and looked at last year's statistics and in my mind, Ozan was far better than the 10 and 11 dual match record he had at the number one spot. But obviously, you look at what he's done this fall. Semifinals of All-Americans in singles. Him and Max win the doubles title at Fall Nats. By the way, shout out to you. I haven't congratulated you yet. First national championship in Michigan State men's tennis program history. Let's just start with the Ozan piece first. Had a big summer, obviously, of pro success. Wins the East Lansing Futures title as well. What seems to be falling into place so well for him as he enters his sophomore season? Yeah, I mean, you look at Ozan in his year last year, and and he's the first one to tell you. He was an All-American. He was first team All-Big Ten, Big Ten freshman of the year. But when he looks at a year, he feels... Ah, could have been better. You know, he doesn't he doesn't feel satisfied with that. So his freshman year, he was also in a tough spot. I mean, he was the only freshman in the nation to play one singles and one doubles in every single match he competed in. Uh, so, you know, maybe at another program where they were a little bit more established at that point, he's able to hide at the four or five spot, get a ton of wins, feel really good about himself. But that was part of him coming here. He wanted to be the flag bearer. He wanted to have that challenge. And uh, he learned a lot last year. And I think him learning that and, and going through those tough matches and moments helped him mature. And he had some good runs at pro tournaments. I really think that his runs in doubles gave him momentum when he won like two or three tournaments this summer with Garrett Johns from Duke. Uh, 
And uh, that really helped him start to believe. And then he just had some crazy matches. And the way he was winning this summer was absolutely insane. I think he played a match against Gorzny where he was down 1-5 in the third set. Um, definitely should have lost it. He had you know a couple other matches where he saved match points. And doing that against great players uh, just means that you have a deeper well to go to. You know, when you when you play tough matches, you know that no matter what the score is, you can come back. Uh, and so, you know, you look at this fall, he just really, really kept that momentum going. And then he just felt comfortable as a leader and, and you know, comfortable being the top dog. I mean, he he walked into the battle in the Bay and, uh, you know, we were kind of joking with Ronnie and we were eating lunch with our host housing. And we said, hey, we're going to play in the finals of this thing. And I think Ronnie and Ozon had a blast there going back and forth and they both kept just collecting big wins, the tiebreaker tournament. And I think that tournament was huge for him. And from there, you know, being the guys he did at that tournament really just has cemented him as one of the top players in college tennis. Obviously, he continued it at All-Americans. And, um, you know, he also played about, I think, 11 tournaments in 10 weeks throughout the fall. Mm -hmm. So he was a little burnt out. Um, but luckily, he finished off with winning his first 15K here at home. I thought that was special. And we'll see what he does this spring. But he's he's excited. The guys are motivated. And, uh, you know, they know what, 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 what we can accomplish this year. And they want to go out there and do it. Absolutely. And I do want to talk about the rest of that roster. I am curious from the Ozon side of the development. Because watching him play is so fascinating to me in the sense that the talent is clear. The weapons are there. The natural court sense of when to move forward and what shot is called for at this moment. You see all of those pieces for Ozan. You also see the clear-cut emotion, like the energy he wants to bring match in, match out. And yet, on the other side of the equation, I swear to God, I watch him play and I'm not sure if he's trying. Like, it's so effortless that at times you wonder, is he giving effort? And I'm just curious what the next development piece for Ozan is in your mind? Is it putting everything together? Like, what do we expect to see from him in year number two at the top of the helm? I think I think it's really emotional maturity. Uh, and, and he's really proven it. And I just keep telling him, can you do it next week? Can you do it next week? Uh, and for him, when things go bad, they can go really bad. Uh, when things are going well, you see, you see exactly what he can achieve with his pro career. But um, I think it's just emotional maturity. I think also just really developing a more, I guess, aggressive three points type of game. He's to me is one of the best. Maybe there's a couple of players that are better at intangibles, just kind of squash shots, digging balls out, getting into chip to chip. We call it chipping BS uh, <laughs> with him. And I think sometimes you got to serve and want a guy off the court and just not let him sniff anything. And right now, just really stepping through the court, driving the forehand or driving the backhand and just, you know, hitting winners or forced errors left and right is going to be the next step for him to to really cement himself as one of the best, you know, college players and hopefully professional players. Absolutely. I love that it says, again, he max All-Americans last year, second all-American doubles pairing in Michigan State men's tennis history. The real ones know the first was the best, obviously. Harry Jada, J.P. Yeah. Mullane, semifinalist back in what? Was that 15? 2015, 15. I want to say. Yeah, oh. at Baylor. I was. I said, was it 15? I knew with absolute certainty it was 2015. Every so often, I just like to, you know, present the veneer that I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. But I want to talk about the new coming talent in a second. I am curious for a guy like Luke Bayless, 
or a guy like Reed Crocker, or even the Josh Portnoy, Max Sheldon, you know, guys who were there a couple of years ago when, with all due respect, the program certainly wasn't where it is today, certainly wasn't where you want to be. How do those guys, or how have those guys embraced, dare I say, the changes that have come over the last 18 months, the influx of talent that's come with it as well? I'm curious how you, you know, balance all the newcomers with making sure, hey, like, we know the foundational blocks that helped get us there. We haven't forgotten about you guys either. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those guys are my guys. I love yeah. those guys. Um, and and I love them because I recruited them in here yeah. as assistant coach as well. So we have a really, really deep relationship with those guys. And and also, I, I think that when we recruited them, the, the sell was, hey, let's take this program to the top. And I think now there's a lot of excitement actually from those guys because it's like, Okay, you know, hopefully now we can be competing for championships. Hopefully now we can, you know, make some runs in the NCAA tournament and things like that. And then also just the ability uh, in training to play against guys that are better than, I mean, Nick Saban says it all the time. The guys that you're practicing against are going to be better than the guys you play on match day. And uh, I think that opportunity is there. And you see a guy like Max Sheldon really, you know, accept that challenge. And you see a guy like Graydon Lair accept that challenge. And he's, you know, now now ranked in the ITA rankings. Even a guy like David Say, who's just loving every second of this because his training is just unbelievable. And he gets to play pro tournaments and he's really climbing up. So I'm really excited for those guys to get their opportunity because you know how the spring season is. There's injuries. There's, you know, maybe guys playing pro events. There's this and that. Doubleheaders they're going to have a lot of opportunities to prove themselves and, and definitely in the doubles lineup and singles lineup. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun to watch. And I'm curious, are Sebastian and Ronnie the first fifth years you guys have brought in during this <laughs> fifth year opportunity? And, you know, what what's it like then in that, knowing that those are the first guys getting those fifth years in? And how has it been to have that experience? And, you know, again, it's still your first year coaching them, but obviously yeah. they've been around the block before. How have they acclimated? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I need COVID to hit right now so we can <laughs> send some of these guys, Ronnie and Sebastian, get another year out of Ozon. <laughs> I mean, we were really just yeah, I, unfortunate in the sense that, I, yeah, Ronnie and uh, Sebastian were the first, their grad transfers in their first fifth years we used throughout the whole since 2020. So obviously fortunate for them to to, to come here and, and step in and have the, the seasons they're having. Uh, but, you know, you always want an extra year or two out of everybody. Uh, but no, they've been great. I mean, Sebastian is really just plug and play. He came from South Alabama, a leader of that team, played one singles for him for the last three, four years. And then, you know, Ronnie, everybody knows Ronnie. Everybody, everybody knows Ronnie. I love Ronnie, man. He came in here and he's a, he's a ball of fire and uh, he's got big goals and he's not afraid to say it. And, and uh, every day I coaching Ronnie is the best, man. It's so much fun. He's uh, every, every day is a, every match, every point is a roller coaster. So I love being in the trenches with them. Cause it just, it keeps you awake the whole time. You can't, you can't step your foot off the gas with them. Do you approach coaching them as you would approaching your freshman, you know, Daniel or any Hell other Mitchell? No. Yeah. Okay. How Hell different is no, that? Man. <laughs> okay. Me and Ronnie have so much fun on the court. And really <laughs> Ronnie's big thing is that he just cares so much that he can get frustrated um, when he's not perfect. And so for me and him, we just kick back and we just make some jokes and crack jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> um, 
I mean, Ozan, I kind of just sit there and let him do his thing. He's he's pretty self-sufficient at this point with his problem solving. <laughs> and then the freshmen, it's really just kind of give him the support and structure. And and that's why they came to college is to have guys talk to them in between points and process and find ways to compete. So, you know, the goal is that they're able to do it by themselves. But, you know, a lot of times they just need some motivation or just some some points here or there. But, you know, I there's a Bill Simmons has a good theory is that there's no such thing as good coaching. There's only bad coaching. <laughs> and I feel like so many times as a coach, you get in the way of the players. And I think it's our job to let the, uh, I recruited them here for a reason. Let the players be the players, help them develop, but don't get in their way and try to impose your will on them or impose your beliefs on them. Work with them and and use the framework that they have. And let's kind of build from there. Mm-hmm. You're a glorified guidance counselor, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Glorified <laughs> guidance coach, counselor, amateur psychologist. All that. <laughs> Would you have taken maybe two more psych classes uh, <laughs> back in the day, knowing what you know now? Maybe that answer yeah. is yes. That's funny. Um, talk to me about the freshmen because obviously you bring in someone like Daniel Morita, who's a thirteen nine four UTR, former top five hundred guy. But even beyond that, obviously you bring in a couple of talented freshmen uh, to yeah. the roster right away. Have they been able to acclimate, get practice in already? How do you feel about this group heading into this season? Yeah, I mean, Danny's going to arrive here in January once classes start. We have another player, Tame Alesma, uh, who's from Germany. Uh, amazing kid. He played our 15K, and, and we spent some time with him in the recruiting process over in Germany. So, you know, both those guys, they they know the guys on the team. Obviously, Danny has a relationship with Ozan and some of the other guys that have been playing pro tournaments. So, you know, you're hoping it will be seamless. Will there be lumps and, and bruises on the way? Absolutely. But, no, I think the intensity and the, and the focus at practice, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, and just really excited for a guy named Aristanos to be able to com- compete. And, you know, he he had to do academic redshirt year. And, I mean, the guy is uh, – he's practiced enough. He's ready to play. So excited for him. He's got a level. He beat Braden Schick and, and, and uh, Mitch Harper at our pro tournament and got to the quarters there. So uh, these guys got a level that I hope when they're practicing together and competing and then also doing it you know, on the court against other teams, I think they're going to tap into another level there. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. How has it been bringing in some international flavor to the roster? Because obviously, traditionally, it's been a very American-centric roster. No longer the case with you in charge. How has that, how have the additions of, again, maybe cultures that weren't exposed to the guys earlier, I imagine it's just made everything a little bit more fun. The humor on the team is the, <laughs> the jokes we're able to crack with Eris being Greek, Sebastian being French Canadian, Tame being German and Syrian. Uh, obviously, Danny coming in as a Spaniard is going to be a lot of fun. I, I personally always love that. My best friend, Heist Linders, I played with him here at Michigan State, and uh, he was from the Netherlands. And me, I mean, he was the officiant at my wedding. Uh, really great dude. And, and, and every time I go recruiting in the Netherlands, I stop by his family's house and stay there. So, you know, at the very worst, these players have teammates they can go visit after they're done playing and, and they have a place to stay at. Maybe they can go see Greece or they can go see uh, Spain or something like that. So I love it, man. I, I think it's really cool to bring these different cultures, expose the guys on the team to to, to the culture, and then also share the the Michigan culture with the uh, with the international players. Yeah, I like that. You have someone from Greece, some from Spain, all these different places. Then a Spread double out, do- baby. Huh? a double dose of East Lansing in you and Ozan. Yeah. It's like you want to know what East Lansing is like. These are the guys to ask. <laughs> and you know, I am curious because you talk about Heiss and going back at that team, and this is very 
again, there's maybe three listeners or anyone who has a history of Michigan State tennis who will understand this question. Where would Aaron Fister play in this lineup? And the reason I ask it like that is because, yeah, exactly. That's that's our guy. When I was a freshman in high school, he was sweeping states. And obviously by the end, he was playing number one for Michigan State for those that don't know the history. And the reason I ask is because you have a lot of talent on the roster now. And I'm just curious where you think he would fit and if your coaching approach has changed, if you guys are just doing different things, given the caliber of players that are now around campus. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, no disrespect to Aaron. He was a three-time All-Big Ten player. He was unbelievable. I mean, I think that obviously Ozan, Ronnie, and then Danny, those guys are are pretty high level. But I think Aaron, we could slot him in at four singles, never have to step on the court. The guy's (laughs) going undefeated all year long. That guy was a primetime. Every every big match, man, he was fast. Yes, primetime player. Uh, and really, I think, you know, you look back at the teams that I played for, I felt like we overachieved every single year, maybe one year we didn't overachieve. And, you know, now we're kind of, we're bringing guys in that have a lot of skill, a lot of talent, but we can't forget about that chip on the shoulder. You know, we got to have that underdog mentality a little bit, work our tails off to maximize what we're going to get. Cause if we do that with the group of guys we have now, I think the sky's the limit, uh, but it's easy to fall into the trap of, hey, we've, we've got great players now. We can kind of let some things slide here and there. Uh, but I think, yeah, that Michigan State mentality and, and you look at what, you know, Coach Smith and the basketball team is trying to bring back what, uh, you know, Coach Izzo brings every single day and what a lot of the sports do at Michigan State. you got to have a chip on your shoulder here. You know, you can't uh, walk into a place and act like you own it. you got to earn it every single day. I am curious to that point. Winning the first national championship in program history at the ITA Fall Nats, as Max and Ozan were able to do, is that help you re- just reaffirm everything you've been pitching to the guys? Does it kind of remove maybe that underdog chip mentality a little bit? Because it's a legitimizing moment, you know, on the national scene. I'm sure your athletic department, you got an email or two saying, hey, Harry, congratulations on the national title. I saw they got honored at the Breslin Center. What does that do for your program as a first step? Max Sheldon, if you're listening to this, put your earmuffs on. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, we had a running joke throughout the whole past year or so with Ozon and Max. They would do something cool. They would get, you know, all Big Ten or whatever it was, and I would kind of say like, "Oh, we'll hang the banner." As a joke. <laughs> like, oh, congrats, guys! You guys got, you know, third team All Big Ten. Oh, really cool. <laughs> And then they won the national championship. And the first thing they texted me was, hang the banner, Harry. (laughs) Man, we kind of have to hang a banner for a national championship there. Uh, But uh, no, I think it gives them that belief. And it's our job as coaches to give them a little bit of adversity, different things to chew on, different, you know, objectives or goals to make them motivated. Um, That's always a concern that guys could get satisfied because we haven't been at the top of the the food chain for very long. And uh, that's 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 really the how we got to manage that. We want them to take the confidence away from it, but we also want them to stay motivated. Mm-hmm. No, totally get that. And do you put the banner above yours and JP's? Like because yeah. it's one I step don't above. Get into that man. <laughs> it's a day after Christmas. I don't want to think about these things. That was my uh, gift to you. Is that yeah. sort of question? Yeah. No. It, I mean, obviously, it'll be at a higher level. We got the Big Ten team championships way back in the '60s and '50s. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be at a higher level. So. You know, always the team ones are going to go above and in the national championships are going to go above the All-Americans. So unfortunately, I got to give it to those guys. Yeah, it's fair enough. Now, look, I go there and I see the name Mark Schlegel and I smile. Again, this is where we really start to nerd out here on this podcast. But again, I don't want to 
it is the day after Christmas. I don't want to keep you for too long. So just the last few questions for you here. I'm curious. I want to hear the pitch from you because in case listeners are curious and you haven't listened, go check out the Great Shot podcast where we're unveiling our top 10 preseason teams heading into the season. And let's just say if you were to look through my phone, you'd have a text or two from many different head coaches, Harry Jaden amongst them, making the pitch for why the Spartans are top 10 this season. Now, I always say we should make it a rule December 1st, make it so that we get to know everyone's rosters so we can be most accurate. I am curious, though, with the addition of Daniel, Ronnie, Thanos, all these different guys. Give me the pitch. Why are you guys top 10 this season? I think, you know, I I really think a huge factor of it is our guys are going to be swinging free. You know, we have nothing to lose. We have no expectations on us. And we got some pretty good players. Ozan and Ronnie are 6-12 and in the ITA rankings. (laughs) Danny Morita comes in. He's already been 400 or so in in the professional rankings. And uh, we've got so we got some big dogs. So I'm excited for it. I don't want to pitch too hard because <laughs> if we come in lower, that's still great for me because uh, we got a lot of bulletin board material and things we can throw at our guys when we're playing some of those top teams. So honestly, for us, if we're in the top 10 or not, isn't isn't a huge difference. Obviously, we want to focus on where we finish. But also, this is fun, man. I mean, we haven't been at the stratosphere and it's going to be a lot of fun for our guys to feel that tension in 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 those big matches. We've we've watched a lot of live streams with those big matches. <laughs> It'll be fun to live some. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. We've talked about the top end. Do you have the depth? Like, I'm just going to ask it because that is what we always know separates good from great. Do you mm-hmm. think you have the depth this year? Yeah, I mean, I really believe so. I think you know guys like Max Sheldon, uh, who's who's ITA ranked and, and has pulled out some big wins over some 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 top players. Uh, Tame Lesma is a, is a player from Germany coming in. He's had a lot of success on the pro tour, and and uh, you know even guys like David Say, Graydon Lair, Luke Bayless, they've proven they can they can pull out big wins and big moments. But, you know, and then also I'm just really excited for our doubles pairings. I mean, I'm I'm going to have some tough decisions to make. Tames won some 15Ks. Aris has won some 15Ks. Obviously, Oasan has. Danny has a level. Um, Ronnie can play some doubles. Sebastian can play some doubles. They're both nationally ranked. So that's going to be a good problem to have because, I mean, there was a, there was a few matches last year <laughs> where we literally, I am not kidding you, we used chat GPT to decide our doubles lineup because we just did not know what to do. So the guys loved it. They were hoping that we could do it for the rest of the year, but we didn't win enough. We, uh, chat GPT wasn't accurate. It didn't win, win us enough doubles points, so we went back to the old-fashioned. <laughs> Let the record show the GPT there stands for Gruskin's Potential Theory. There and I would just go. send him what I'd get. Uh, <laughs> no, that's awesome. Let me. So then again, I gave you the Fister conundrum. Do you crack this year's doubles lineup? 2015 Harry, are you getting Come in? And I'm playing one doubles, <laughs> carrying Ozon. Yeah, he needs it, man. He needs it. No, I, 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 I step in doubles drills today. I'm cooking these guys. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll throw me at two doubles to stack it a little bit, create a solid spot in the lineup. Yeah, Come on now. You're I the spot. Get that People know the uh, Brad Dancer rule traditionally. Again, all the doubles lineups. Yeah, you'd be throwing yourself at three with with someone funky there. You and Ronnie just slapping away and having fun. But, you know, again, knowing the roster you have now, and I ask this with full love, and I'm not sure if you would have gotten there last year. Should you? Did you skip the kickoff draft? Like, did you have the option and did you pass or did they come a little short of you? No, we we weren't ranked high enough. We were probably the fourth alternate. I was dying to get into that kickoff yeah. uh, 
But, you know, we have we actually have a great option. Uh, Coach Shackerly at Pepperdine um, wanted to create something outside of the kickoff because they didn't really want to play kickoff this year. So we ended up going to UCSB and Pepperdine, and we're going to play those two teams, top 40 teams or so. Um, so it would be a great opportunity for us. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if there's any teams that want to pull out of the kickoff, uh, we'd <laughs> yeah. love to have a conversation. No, we're, we're – we're, we're locked in in Malibu. It's going to be a fun trip, a great training trip for our guys as well. We're going to hit Palm Springs a little bit early, enjoy the nice weather, and uh, that'll be a fun one. So, And looking at the schedule again, Cornell at Vanderbilt, Clemson, Middle Tennessee, the Blue-Gray Classic, which for those that don't know, a really fun invitational event with teams like Auburn, Bama, and you know a bunch of schools from the Southeast, uh, uh, from the southeast region. Talk to me about the schedule as you crafted yeah. it this year. Did you have in mind, like, look, I want to push the guys? Yeah, I got to holler at JT tw- Jay Tweets Tennis right now because he kind of, <laughs> after we signed Danny, he kind of mentioned, like, MSU should should really beef up their schedule. Number one, we're locked in on the schools uh, that we're playing. And then number two, find me a team that wants to play us this year, please. <laughs> find me a team that wants to play us because – I've reached out to many a teams and they they they're all set. They've been set for the past year or so. So no, I, I'm really appreciative of the schedule we put together. Obviously working with some great coaches. And you know, just because a lot of teams didn't want to set a home and home with us where they come here and we go there each year alternating. You know, we really prioritize some some neutral site matches. So we're playing UCSB neutral site. We're playing the Blue Gray Classic, which is an eight team tournament. Hopefully, get some top twenty five opportunities there. And then Matt Hill does a great job at Arizona State, creating a spring break invite. We got three matches there. So you know, and then eh, the Big Ten schedule kind of sorts itself out with that. We'll get some good opportunities there, the Big Ten tournament as well. So yeah, a lot of neutral site matches, some great teams home, uh, a lot of great home matches, like you said, Middle Tennessee State, Clemson. Um, so yeah, just excited about the schedule we put together. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun one to watch unfold. Have you allowed yourself to start thinking conference realignment or no? Is yeah, that too far? We're, we're on calls, you know, once every other week or so about it. For us, it's not that bad in terms of uh, we go out west one more time. So when we go out west, USC, UCLA, and Oregon, and Washington will come to us. So it's just one more trip out west. And obviously, we're adding four great teams, which will be great. My heart does go out for those coaches out west because they're going to be traveling every week. And, you know, I think it definitely is going to put a stressor on the kids for classes. We're going to miss a lot of school and when you're not football and basketball and your professors really want you at class, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that can get difficult, but it's, uh, yeah, it'll be really, really good. I mean, I, I just worry about, you know, where this all goes five, six years from now with all the proposals you see from the NCAA and just how, how are we going to carve out space for the non-revenue sports to, to compete and give the same resources we are um, today? Because I think right now is really the heyday of college tennis. You look at the level, you look at the guys in the top 100, a lot of that process and the recruiting pitch is already done because I can just say, hey, there's 16 guys, you know, playing Wimbledon or there's six, you know, 17 or you look at the doubles draw. I mean, it might as well be a collegiate alumni <laughs> tournament at this point at the at the majors. So uh, it's really cool to be a part of college tennis right now. I hope it can can stay there and maintain it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you talk about that level this season. I've mentioned this fact to listeners before. I have you on the show, so I want to mention it again. I think the race for number one in the preseason rankings is maybe the best race we've had 
since 2018, right after those Virginia three-peat teams all aged out and you had this kind of open scene. And I know the context entering this season is a little bit different, but look, it's the last year where, dare I say, you have the super teams. You have that COVID-related depth where players are able to have that additional year of eligibility to come back. And certainly the teams you come to mind first, Texas, Ohio State, where, you know, Ohio State has like 28 years of experience in their doubles lineup if they want to work things properly. And, you know, you look at a Texas, like one of Cleve Harper, CM Waldeep, or a Braswell probably isn't going to be in the singles lineup in each and every match, which is crazy. And then on top of that, you have two-time defending champs Virginia, who, by the way, bring back five of six starters, including their top three, a top three that is one of two teams in the last two decades to go to Ohio State and win a match in Columbus. Like That team is coming back with five of six, with one of the top five freshmen in the country. And I don't know what to do with my preseason number one ranking, Harry Jaden. So I ask you now, an expert who has lived the sport, what do you see when you look at the top of the game this year? And who would you put preseason number one? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I just, from the sole fact of they've done it before, to me, I put Virginia and I'm an amateur. <laughs> I haven't seen any of these teams play live. So I, I want to put a caveat there. But you got to respect the fact that they've done it before. Crazy things happen at the tournament, but it's crazy because they always seem to have success. But then you look at what what Coach Burke has done at at Texas. I mean, the recruiting that that guy's done is unbelievable, Uh, bringing in both Bailey brothers and and both Braswell brothers. It's Paziri and Woldeeb and Harper. I mean, that team is a joke as well. Their level is crazy. Um, and, and then you look at Ohio State, they've done a phenomenal job. Obviously, you can't, you know, top these guys in doubles. They're unbelievable. And, uh, you know, get Cannon and, and Justin back. It's it's really, really impressive what, what Ty's been able to do year in and year out there. And then I'd throw TCU in that mix as well. I feel like they've got six guys who are at a level where they can win, you know, 15, 25 Ks any given week. So I think those four teams are, are in that mix for the for the number one spot. And uh yeah, I mean, just off the sole fact that they they they're the defending back to back champs, and and you know they they seem to have a lot of composure in big moments. Give it to Virginia, but I, I I'm not mad if you put any of those other three teams in because the level is just unbelievable. Yeah, and you mentioned those big four teams. I mean, again, those are teams you talk about Ohio State, where Cannon's a fifth year, Boulay's a fifth year, Luchonics many a years and Tracy's now a senior cash is a fifth year it's just like yeah we you don't see talent like that every season in college tennis and yet I would argue as you start to move to four five six seven eight I'm starting to have some questions about who's playing five who's playing six in a way maybe you had in the 2010s but you didn't have these first three years of the 2020s because we had this abundance of super teams. Like, you look at last year's quarterfinals, in any other season, all eight of those teams probably win a national championship. The difference last year is they had to go through each other. Are you starting to feel like, dare I say, the after effects of that extra year of eligibility wear off? Like, are, are you starting to plot for the future now? Yeah, I mean, I... I... I think next year we're really going to see. I still think that year. I mean, you you see the teams at the top bringing all those guys back, mm-hmm. Texas, Ohio State, Virginia, TCU bringing all those guys back, and and then they're adding, you know, like like the the recruits they are. I think it's still crazy. I think one through eight on a lot of those teams are like you could probably win the national championship with any of those lineups. It's going to come down to what happens on any given day. 
one through eight. So I, uh, I still think one more year, there's probably going to be a little bit of a drop and, and then, you know, it will, it will rebound. But then also I just feel like more guys are coming to college. You have guys who are number one ITF world juniors coming, uh, you know, 13, five, 13, six UTR. So I do think that some of that's going to be mitigated just with the challenger wild cards and the, the accelerator program and all the success. I do think that the players that are accepting college tennis and coming to school in 2018, they're not as good as the guys, the freshmen that are coming in now. I mean, these freshmen are really high level and can step in right away and, and play at a high level. Obviously, the dual match atmosphere is a different beast, though. So, yeah. That's what it's going to be fun all about. Well, with that in mind, then, last two questions for you. Goals for 2023. Obviously, you have the roster that you do. Expectations come along with it. What are the Spartans hoping to achieve this season? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm going to give my standard coaching answer of we don't want to put too much goals on ourselves because honestly, one of our advantages is that we're swinging free and we don't really know what we can achieve. I think that's really cool. But at the end of the day, we want to compete for championships. We want to make runs at NCAA tournaments, but not really putting any numbers or hard facts on any of those. That's kind of what we talk with our guys. And then also for me, it's just – the air gets thin up here, and I look at guys like Ty, like Bruce, like uh, Andres, and, and Rodidi at TCU. I mean, the air is thin up here, man. It's <laughs> uh, it's a little bit more stressful when you're when you're competing at the top level. You want you know more and more and more. Sometimes I have to sit back and just make sure I'm enjoying it because when I'm enjoying it and I'm loose with the guys and I don't have that weight on me of I want to do this, I want to do that the guys can swing so much more free. So it's uh, it's not easy. I'm learning that the hard way. Yeah, it's the best burden to have, right, as a coach, is when you've got some talent and you've got some expectations internally amongst the group. And again, managing those, making sure you get the best. Like I said, you're a glorified psychologist at this point. And obviously something is working well for you. Well, my final question, and I think this is one every listener expected me to ask you before I let you go, you were to head 60 miles down 94 or whatever that exact commute is. You'd see a team that's 38 and three in football since the start of 2021. Yeah. And I'm just curious, you know, again, will you be rooting for my Wolverines in the college football playoff? That's a tough one, man. That's <laughs> a tough one. Uh, or will you be rooting for your future conference, <laughs> Washington? You know, again, yeah. in the Huskies, keep it internal. Ah, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I got to be rooting for Washington. I, I, I'm not. I'm not even one of those guys that has like a, a deep, deep hatred for Michigan or anything like that. But uh, sometimes it's tough with where we're at as a football <laughs> program compared to where you guys are at. It's tough to even be in the same room as a Michigan fan. Uh, yeah. So my my heart goes out to Coach Raheem there. Yeah, Washington. I'm I'm pulling for the uh, the Huskies there. That's what I like to hear. Well, if people were wondering who's the Connor Stallions of tennis, it's me. I'm just I know the poach call. <laughs> I know the crosses. I've I've sent all the messages out, and yeah. so uh, no more than anything. What I've truly enjoyed is watching the success you guys have had. And I know you might have heard a comment or two on a podcast from time to time, but sincerely, in a year and a half, it's unequivocal. I know you used the quote: "The flag has been planted after that national champ." championship uh, at fall Nats, and it's just unequivocal. Everyone's talking Michigan State men's tennis, and the reason so more than anything else is the spirit, the effort, the intensity, the energy you have brought to the head coaching position. I think you're doing a terrible job, but others seem to think otherwise, my friend, and we're going to go with the majority rule in this case. So Harry Jaden, continue to kill it. 
and we will continue to always enjoy having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me today, my friend. Uh, absolutely, Alex and the Crack Rackets team. Appreciate what you guys are doing for college tennis. Thank you as always, my friend, and go green. Go white. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Michigan State men's tennis head coach Harry Jaden. Again, a thank you as always to Harry for taking the time to chat. He deals with about as much of my nonsense as any coach in the Division One world. And hey, that's the burden that comes with having known me for a decade plus now. But again, to see what Harry's already accomplished in his first 18 months as head coach on the job, it speaks to his passion. It speaks to his intelligence. It speaks to his charisma. It speaks to why so many in the college tennis world thinks so highly of his future of what he might accomplish uh, at Michigan State moving forward. So again, uh, if you are able to do so, make sure you go support Harry Jaden. Make sure you go support this Michigan State men's tennis program if it's in your local community or at all in your relative radius. And more broadly, if you have college tennis at all within an hour drive from you, if you're listening to this podcast, it means you are a rabid tennis fan and it means you will certainly enjoy a little bit of college tennis in your life. So make sure you're going and attending these matches. Make sure uh, that these players who are performing at such a high level, they feel that support. They feel that encouragement because they certainly have provided us countless, countless hours of entertainment over the years. Anyways, a shout out to Harry, a shout out to Michigan State. Make sure you're supporting college tennis, whatever community you may live in. That said, I know some of you aren't always college tennis focused. I will say if you're looking for our top 10 teams heading into 2024, be sure to go check out the Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. I will point out there is plenty of pro tennis related content available, not just on this podcast feed, but over on the mini break podcast feed as well, where of course we're breaking down all things 2023. And now that we've hit this final week of the off season, certainly beginning to preview all things 2024 as well. So again, be on the lookout for plenty of more Crack Rackets content on the horizon. Wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe, like, rate, review to this show, the Great Shot podcast feed, and of course, the Mini Break podcast feed, as well as our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. And then on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we're at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. With that said, though, for our fantastic guests, Michigan State men's tennis head coach Harry Jaden, our super producer Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>